Uh, during this mission series, we have been highlighting different ways to reach God's world. Uh, we've learned ab about uh, learning, going, mobilizing, and today we'll learn about welcoming. We have a very special guest with us today. <clears throat> CLC has been partnering with Richard and Carrie Nakamura for 25 years since they first left for Japan in 1996 to serve as church planters. After the tsunami in Japan in 2011, they returned to Seattle for the academic needs of their children. <clears throat> and Richard, Richard and Carrie have five children ranging from age 26 to 13. They now focus their ministry on the large number of Japanese in the Seattle area, many of whom will return eventually to Japan. And this is called the diaspora ministry, reaching out to scattered people groups. Japan is one of the least reached countries in the world, with less than 1% of the population identifying as Christian evangelicals. There are many people groups here in the United States that have immigrated. Um, welcoming these um, people is a way that we can be involved in God's mission to the world. So please welcome Richard Nakamura. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, it's been, as um, Gordon mentioned, 20, 25 years, over, over 25 years. You'll see a picture of my family. Again, my name is Richard Nakamura, and here's my family, Carrie, my wife. And uh, we, the, he mentioned 26 years old, my oldest daughter, but she's actually had a birthday. She's 27. So we have uh, uh, Alicia on the left, Brandon, he's 20, uh, 26, <laughs> after, after three kids, it's just like <laughs> 26, and then Hannah sitting next to me is uh, 21, she'll be 22 this year, and then behind her is Kayla, who's 20, and then my 13-year-old's in the back, um, yeah, and we were uh, missionaries to, to Japan all this time, and I want to say thank you to the church for all your prayers and support. I remember when Alicia was just a little girl, we did puppet shows here. And I don't know if any of you were here during that time, but um, that was one of our ministries at that time. And so we went to Japan. And then um, 2011 happened, the earthquake and tsunami in Japan. And we were supposed to go back on home service uh, anyways in June, but the earthquake happened in, uh, in March. And so uh, the kids, Carrie and the kids, went back early, and then I was able to help at the tsunami place uh, up in uh, up up north. Um, and then we came back, and so we tried to find help for our two children. Two of them had educational challenges, and so we found therapy uh, at one of the Christian schools in Seattle. And uh, I thought, oh, great. So for one year, they could get help because there's no help in Japan. And then the therapist said to us, uh, I'm sorry, this, this is not a one-year fix. This is going to take five to six years. And I'm thinking, huh? Wait a sec. We're supposed to go back to Japan. And what do we do? And of course, they're my first disciples, are my children. And so it's a no-brainer, but, but it's still a struggle because it was totally unplanned, unexpected. And so we made the decision to stay to get help for our children. And I thought, okay, what am I gonna do? I thought I would have to leave the mission. But at that time, uh, there was a growing movement amongst the mission community for 
diaspora, or diaspora ministries, uh, which is reaching the scattered people groups all over the world that are coming to the States. Uh, and so SIN, our mission organization, asked if we could be a part of that. So that meant we didn't have to leave the mission. And so we stayed. And so when you hear the word diaspora or diaspora, what do you usually think of? Many people think of the Jewish nation that was scattered. But now it refers to the Christian diaspora, you know, at, at the first century when the church was scattered. And now it means the scattered people groups all over the world. And they're coming because traveling is easier. We have planes, you know. Traveling in the past used to take weeks and months, just decades of, of that hard-to-travel um, situation. But with modern technology, people are able to travel freely. And so we are doing Japanese diaspora ministries in Seattle, working with the local churches. And what we are doing uh, fits perfectly with today's theme, welcoming the new paradigm uh, in missions. And actually, it's, it's not really a new paradigm. It's, it's an old paradigm, actually. Because in the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish nation was to testify of the reality of God. You know, God parted the Red Sea and the Jordan, and people all over the nations around them saw what God was doing, and there was a real God in, in Israel. And, and so they were to testify of that, that there is a God in Israel. As we read the Old Testament, we see kings like Solomon, right? People from all over the nation would come. And uh, the famous story is the Queen of Sheba, or modern-day Ethiopia, Ethiopia. And she would come and worship God. But because of the Jews' uh, disobedience, they forgot their God, their relationship with God, they would worship the idols. And over time, they were scattered to Assyria and then Babylon. And then finally, when they came back, they forgot God again, and then God scattered them in AD 70 uh, when the Rome, Romans came. So now in the New Testament, during, you know, after AD 70, the Christians were also scattered. And the emphasis now is to go and make disciples. And God spread them out all over the world. And they were making disciples. And oftentimes it was during persecution. And so God sent the church out through persecution. And oftentimes in persecution, uh, their, their faith is strengthened. And so they went, went out and testified of the hope that's found in Jesus. But over time... Uh, the church became complacent. You know, there's a big shift in AD 300 when Constantine uh, legalized Christianity and there's now no more persecution. And so in church history, there's been this wave of repentance and on fire for the Lord, and yet it would go down and they would forget. And then there would be revival again, and then they would forget. And we see groups like the Moravians who would re revive their faith, and, and God used them. And then there's the Reformation. You know, again, this whole pattern of, of coming to God and forgetting, and then repenting and coming to God. And, and then we come up to the uh, next slide, please. Uh, William Carey, the father of modern missions, perhaps you've heard of him already in some of the other talks, but he was the, considered the father of modern missions. And here he was, uh, a shoemaker, became a pastor, just burdened for people. 
and he had a burden for the unreached, and he decided to go to India. But as he's telling people about the need to spread the gospel, the church wasn't interested. And one elder stood up and says, you know, if, if God wanted to save the heathens, he could do it without you. Sit down. <laughs> it was like, whoa. So there's no backing, no support from the church, but he felt burdened from God, and he went out to India. And as a result, when he came back and shared his testimony and what God was doing, it caused people to revive and to get back to the heart of God in reaching the lost. And so that started a movement that affected generations. But I remember a talk that our former director at SEND mentioned. And uh, in it, he said, basically, uh, before the 18th century, you know, we basically have European missions. 19th century, we have British missions. 20th century, we have American missions. 21st century, we have Asia-Africa missions. And we can see that now. We see revival in Korea and China. And what's really neat, in, in, in the Chinese house churches, you, there's a movement called the Back to Jerusalem movement. Maybe some of you have heard that. It's the house churches that have determined to go out and share the gospel from China, and they include Japan, praise God, from Japan all the way back to Jerusalem. And their, their thinking is, we're going to spread the gospel. We're going to go to the heart of Buddhism, Islam, and Hinduism. What could they do that they haven't done to us already? They suffered persecution in China. And God had prepared them to go to the hardest parts of the world. And they're doing that right now. But then I remember another thing that he said. Next slide. He says, if you notice, with the passing of the baton, we see the dying of the church. And I remember it hit me really hard. It's like, what is that true? And you look at Europe right now. One, two percent of the population are Christian. You know, where, where um, the Reformation happened, less than five percent in, in Germany. And then look at England. What's the fastest growing religion there? Islam. Christianity is not growing at all. And then you hit the 20th century, American missions. And we could see it. The heart for missions, the heart for reaching out to people is going down. So missions all across the board, all mission organizations, giving is down. The burden to reach the lost is, is down. And I thought, oh my, it's happening right now. We're, we're repeating history. And so we see this last push, you know, for, with Asia all the way back to Jerusalem. It's that last stretch that's happening right now. Could you see how the gospel has gone around the world? And the very same mistakes, if you read the Old Testament, you would wonder, they saw all these miracles. How could they forget God? But they did. Boy, if I was there, I wouldn't do that. If I saw the Red Sea departed, I would, I'd follow God right but we're doing the same thing that the Old Testament Israelites did. They saw the miracles and they forget. We have the privilege of having the Old Testament and the New Testament. What a privilege. They would have loved to have seen that and had that. We have that, but we've forgotten. 
we've forgotten. But the gospel is moving forward. Next slide. And it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is where we're at right now. People are hearing the gospel where they've never heard before. And people, all nations, are ethnic groups, are hearing the gospel. And so I have a friend who works with Wycliffe. And this is what the graph looks like as far as Bible translations. Uh, people that are receiving the Bible in their language. And you see this graph that's exponentially growing now in the last days. And my friend, you know, he's, he's brilliant. And he's um, translating the word of God in, in places I can't tell you, but it's in that back to Jerusalem area. <laughs> and with technology and computers and, and how they translate the word, it's, they're just putting it out. And it's wonderful to hear. But look at this graph. In the Bible, it talks about the last days, there'll be earthquakes and famines and things like that. It's the same graph. Things are happening and in an exponentially fast pace these days. And I believe that prophecy is being fulfilled even as we speak. It's happening right now. But I believe that America still has a chance. You know, with the passing of the baton is the dying of the church. We're not dead yet. We're not dead yet. And we have an opportunity to, again, join Join our hearts back to God. And part of this is, is what's happening. You know, there's missions conference. But there's this whole movement towards diaspora ministries, welcoming ministries as the nations come here. And there's a principle here. And I'm sure many of you heard the, the two examples of the seas in, in Israel. There's a Sea of Galilee that's full of life fish, you know, all that. And why is that? It's because there's streams coming into the lake and then it comes out in the Jordan River. There's an input and there's an output. And you go further down south and you see the Dead Sea and it's dead. There's no fish. Why? Because there's, just, there's no output. There's no output. And the same principle is with us today too. If we're not, if we're just receiving, receiving, and not sharing the gospel, we will die. We won't grow. And we get complacent. And then we get self-focused. And so we're being reminded again that no, God's heart is to seek and to save those that are lost and to reach out and to reach out. That's the heart of Jesus. And we need to see, look around us. What is God doing around us? And so in these last days, we are going, being sent out, but we are also welcoming. We're seeing, we're, do, we're doing both. We're going back into the old paradigm where people are coming to see that there's a God. Well, there's a God in America. There is a God in America. Here's, here's proof right here. And it's a new and renewed opportunity for us in America. We are not dead yet. So people are on the move. And there's various reasons for that. People like to travel, of course, and traveling is easier. But as we know, there's wars. 
and I know you've been listening to the news in Af Afghanistan, and, and they're coming. They're already here. As a matter of fact, with our mission organization, SEND, there's a group in, um, in Detroit that's ministering to the Afghanistan people right now. And I think there's some locally here, but they're coming. And they're coming from all parts of the world. There's famines. There's um, needs for education, higher education. So people come here. So what is God doing, and how would God have us respond? And so I'm reminded of, of um, my church, Faith Bible Church. And um, this is when the diaspora, we call it ethnic ministries in those days, right? But it was just happening, and not in a large scale, but little. And Miss Kaiser, Gladys Kaiser, wanted to be a missionary to China. And... Um, she was getting ready for that, all excited to go. And that's where missions was happening, China and India. And then she, she got tuberculosis. God, what are you doing? I want to be a missionary. I'm here to serve you. I want to go overseas to China. And then she ends up being in a sanatorium to recover from tuberculosis. You know, at that time, that was, that was a big, big issue. Lord, what are you doing? But as she's recovering, there's this lady in her room. Her name was Yudi. And she befriends her, leads her to Christ. And she'd never really thought about the Japanese Americans. So then through Yudi, she ended up getting married to a man named Doc Hoshiwara. And maybe some of you might know uh, their son, Dave, Dave and Jane, Dave Hoshiwara. Uh, some of you might know them. But through Yudi's example in, in introducing her to the Japanese-American community, Gladys began having a burden. And it was at a time when it wasn't popular to minister to the Japanese people. You know, there's a lot of distrust. And, and then the war happened, right? What happened? The Japanese-Americans were interned. And in Seattle's case, uh, they went to Idaho. So what does Gladys do? She moved to Idaho. Crazy. People thought she was crazy. What are you doing? They're our enemies. But God, through Yudi, had given her a burden for the Japanese Americans. So she goes to Idaho and has Sunday school with these little kids. Well, after the war, these Sunday school kids who became Christians through her ministry became the elders of Faith Bible Church. And so Faith Bible Church always had a burden for missions because of Ms. Kaiser's example. And so over the years, half of the income went to missions. Now it's down to 48%, you know, towards missions. But because of her example, always had a burden for missions. And so the church grew, and then they decided to expand on the east side, and they planted a church called Lighthouse, in which time they called Pastor Wayne Ogimachi from here. Woman <laughs> No, no, but but there's this relationship, you know. God had blessed Faith Bible Church and they expanded. And Christian Labor Church was a part of that expansion too, by calling Pastor Wayne out of here to, to Seattle. So what's happening now worldwide, the after ministries in, in within our mission, we had 
Filipino missionaries in Russia ministering to Chinese. How crazy is that? Right? And so here's a little, little graph. This is what diaspora ministries look like. If you, uh, I, I can't, I don't think you could read it, but there's countries uh, all over on the edge. But people are crisscrossing. This is what diaspora ministries look like. People are on the move. And we need to welcome those that are coming. So look at our reality. Missions is not just overseas anymore. It's at our doorsteps. It's here now. And so when you look worldwide, we see the diaspora movement. It's from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere. It's from the east to the west. That's where the people are moving, moving into urban centers. How are we going to respond? I know there's a lot of people um, in this high-tech area, a lot of people from East India. Uh, in Seattle, there is. And so our neighbors, our neighborhood is full of East Indians. And so our neighbors next door, they're Muslims. And it's really interesting, even though they're all uh, many East Indians, they're not all the same. <laughs> There's Hindus and Muslims, and they speak different languages, even though they're all from India. <laughs> and so our next door neighbor is there. How do we reach out to them? Well, I'm doing Japanese ministry, so it's, no, no, it's not that. Right? God had brought them into our neighborhood next door. How do we reach out to them? And so we're praying. And so you get a knock on the door, and, and could I borrow a, a rake? You know, <laughs> sure. And then I help them with just, just house things, uh, how to do this, how to do that, develop a relationship. Um, the children, the sons, uh, their son is the same age as my younger son. So we go fishing. She's never gone fishing. You know, it's, she's just building trust, building relationship. And one day, my son came back on the bus, from the bus. He says, Dad, you know, there's only two people that don't swear on the bus. That's me and Nabil next door. You know? He's a Muslim guy. Nathan's a Christian guy. And, and so they get along because everyone's talking real bad stuff. And, and then he feels comfortable with Nathan, you know. So what do we do? We just share the love of Jesus. And they share that they're Muslims. We share that they're Christian. we're Christians. But asking God for wisdom along the way, how do you share the love of Christ? It's ongoing right now. He's looking for a bike. My friend had actually given me a bike, an extra bike. I didn't need another bike, but the brand was Nakamura. <laughs> Nakamura brand. And so he, he's asking to borrow my bike. I said, here, I have a new bike from my friend, here. So he's riding around the neighborhood with a Nakamura bike. So I was like, I'm praying that he would remember God's goodness towards him. And then again, we have the Afghan mission um, people coming. Afghan is a hard, Afghanistan is a very difficult place. And I think some of you have heard the Christian missionaries there are in danger. There's rumors that some have been killed already. It's a hard place to live. But many of them are, are coming here. Not the Taliban. I, well, maybe they might come. I don't know, but, but they're coming here. So there's opportunities all around us. So what is God burdening you? Who has God brought into your life? In your neighborhood? At your workplace? 
in your schools. They're all around there. There's opportunities. And so I've been training the, the Bible study people to ask every day, God, who do you want me to talk to today? Every day, just pray that. Who do you want me to share your love to today? And it's amazing. When you start praying that in the morning, your, uh, your radar start working. And every opportunity seems to be, I mean, everything that happens seems to be an opportunity. Coworker gets sick. Can I pray for you? That, that could be just the start of a, a relationship, a little seed. I remember Nathan and I were uh, visiting friends in eastern Washington, and we were um, at a motel, and wanting to, <laughs> wanting to be by ourselves, just father-son type of thing. But, but one day this lady came, and she sat in the jacuzzi, and she wouldn't leave. <sighs> but we want to go in the hot tub before going to bed, right? <laughs> So well, let's, let's just go. And so uh, we introduced ourselves and, and then realized that she had been crying. And I asked her, you know, are things okay? She's like, no, really, I, I'm actually having a hard time. Had the privilege of sharing the gospel right there in the hot tub, in the jacuzzi. And would you like to receive Christ? She goes, yes, yes, right? And then... I wasn't going to see her again because we're, you know, we're just there for that night. And so I felt led to ask her, would you like to get baptized? <laughs> she said, really? Here? And my, my son's all excited. Later on, he tells me, I was hoping you'd ask that, Dad. You know? So by God's leading, baptized her in the jacuzzi in Colville, Washington. You know? So you don't know what opportunities God would have for you. Oh, but I'm not trained. I'm not a missionary. I'm not like you. No. The Holy Spirit is with you. Jesus is with you to the end of the age. And it could be just a greeting. Hi. Could I help you? Could I pray for you? It could be anything that God could use. And God will train you in this process. What has he burdened you with? Who has he brought into your lives? And if you think of missions, traditionally... It was to, you know, go overseas and then learn the language, learn the culture, you know, and all. That takes time and it's hard, but you don't have to do that here. You don't have to do that here because you already know it. So you're, you have something that they want. They want friendships in America. They want to learn the language. They want to learn the culture. And so there's opportunities to invite them over for, you know, American holidays, Thanksgiving or Christmas or fishing or hunting or whatever it could be, there's opportunities that you could um, take advantage of. But why is this so important? Why? Because people need the Lord. Are you burdened for the, for the lost? Think about it. We're talking about eternal matters. This life is not everything. There's an afterlife. And God's whole desire is that we have a relationship with the creator God. And by God's grace and plan, he calls us to be his hands and feet and mouthpieces. There's no other way. The Bible makes it real clear. There's no other name given among, amongst men in which we must be saved. What? But that's so narrow. It's like, but it's so, I don't want to say that. I, it sounds so narrow. It sounds so prideful. 
But is it true? Is it true? So that's why we ask God for wisdom constantly. You know, we don't go and say, you know, Caitlin, you need to repent because you're going to hell. Maybe that might be a, t- a time, but oftentimes it's more in love. You go in love. This sin problem that we have, there's no other solution. See, the sin problem that we have separates us from God. And the only solution to the sin problem that we have is that God himself will come down to die for us. In that death, God's wrath is satisfied. And if we receive him, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, so that now God could embrace you. There's no other way. If there was another way, I'm sure God would have done it. But God himself had to come down to die for us. What a precious gift. Do we realize that? And he died so that others could go to him. Earlier in, in the 16th century, there was a group called the Moravians. Maybe it was the 15th century, 5th century. Moravians. And as they went out as missionaries, they would say this. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of his sufferings. Why? May the Lamb of God, Jesus, receive the reward of his sufferings. He suffered and died. What's his reward? Us. Are we burdened with the same things that God is burdened with? To bring the body together, his bride together. And it's going to happen. We are in the last days. There's an urgency that I sense that we need to reach out to share our faith. Yes, we might be misunderstood. Yes, we might even be persecuted. But does the love of God compel us? It's like, oh, God... Please use me. I want others to know you. I want others to know you. Do you have that burden? Next slide. He says, go and make disciples. It's really as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. As you go, it doesn't have to be overseas make disciples but what does that mean not just not just that they receive christ but that they grow in christ to become more like jesus are we growing as disciples are we growing in maturity you know it's just like child raising could they feed themselves you know could they be responsible as christians could we feed ourselves with the word pray Could we lead others to Christ? Could we share a testimony? That's all part of growing as a mature disciple. And that's why we have the church. So that we could train ourselves, encourage each other, stimulate one another to loving good deeds. So that we could be effective. You don't have to do it by yourselves. Have other people pray for you. Hey, I'm praying for my neighbor. Pray for me. I'm reaching out. I'm having lunch with them. I'm having lunch with my boss. Whatever. Pray with me. And that's where the church comes together. You know, one of the questions I had in why we're staying uh, in the States is not just to take care of my kids, 
but I think in God's grace, he allowed me to lead my nine-year-old mom to, to Christ. That happened during this crazy COVID time. You know, God, why is COVID happening? It is, right? We ask that. It's so crazy. But by God's grace, mom's heart opened up June 4th, 2020, nine years old. She receives Christ. And then by God's grace, February uh, 3rd of this year, I was able to baptize her. Opportunities happen at 90 years old. At 90 years old. So what is God doing around you? Open your eyes. Lift your eyes. Ask God to lead and guide us. And then welcome the people that's around you. And may God bless you and use you for his, for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing. We thank you that we are not left alone, but you are with us to the end of the age. And we sense that time is short, that we are indeed in the last of the last days, and you desire us to go out and be your light and witness, to testify of your reality. God, please bless this congregation. Bless each one here. May they have hearts like Jesus to welcome the people around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, would you join me in praying for Richard and uh, his ministry? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you, and your power knows no bounds, and your love is deeper than we can even imagine, and we humble ourselves before you. We lift up our partners in the gospel, Richard and Kerry Nakamura. Please equip them with the resources that they need for ministry. People willing to be leaders for community groups, financial support for them, for prayer support and encouragement. Let Richard and Carrie be steeped in the word of God and fill their cups to overflowing with your presence and your assurance. May there be spiritual awakening in the Japanese people in living in Seattle that the gospel will be spread and that people will know the love that Jesus has for them. And may those who return to Japan bring the gospel with them. We pray for Richard's family, for his mom, um, who is a new believer. Thank you for the miracle of her faith after so many decades. And may you uh, grow her as a disciple. For Carrie's dad, Dennis, who lost his wife recently and is getting weaker, give um, their family wisdom in knowing when and where and how to move them um, to live with them. And Father, we thank you for the longevity of Richard and Carrie in ministry. Continue to renew and energize them. May they be rooted and established in your love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Richard. And if you'd like to uh, uh, interact more with Richard, we're going to have a lunch uh, after service. So you can see Pastor Ben in the back afterwards for details.